0: welcome back everyone to masters of the matrix i'm greg m today i have with me a special guest jake sassville jake is a successful entrepreneur with his hands in media music and wellness he's the founder of the imaloa institute in costa rica he's also a podcaster and author himself He's been the youngest host in late-night TV history, and even the White House named him the most innovative entrepreneur under 30. Very impressive. Welcome to the show, Jake. It's so good to have you.
1: I feel like, am I... It's so good to be with you. Am I a master in in my own matrix. Like what, what a name for a show that is. (laughs) Isn't it, huh? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's more like a calling than it is a a name of a show master of the, anyways, thank you for having me on Greg. We chatted a little bit before we started recording and just really impressed with the space that you're holding and the reason why you started to do this show. I, um, I appreciate that as someone who starts many things. And as a creator myself, the, The reason for starting something is almost as important as what it is you're starting, you know?
0: And it's not that easy. I mean, a lot of people can just talk about creating something. Oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. But to actually, like, not only start it is also difficult, but also to see it through. It takes a lot of, it takes a recipe. And so uh, I want to get into that a little bit with you, because you've had a lot of success in sort of the, on the world side. And I say the world side, you know, outside of the spiritual, it can be combined. I, I get it. But you've uh, you've been in like so much. You, you've you've accomplished so much at such a young age, and you know in your 20s even you had your own show called The Edge, which aired after Jimmy Kimmel Live. So how did you get into that? What was that experience like? And and how did you get so much momentum at such a young age? I think
1: it's interesting that you make a distinction between being in the spiritual world. And in the, the the 3D world, I don't know what you want to call it. What do you want to call it?
0: Yeah, I, 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 it's, it's, you know, I, it, everything is, you know, everything is spiritual. But at the same yeah. time, to play the game at, at certain levels, the spirit, you know, the heart-based stuff isn't usually there because it's the competitive nature of that world out there. And we have to sort of, we've been taught to, you know, we have to win, we have to do whatever it takes. And, you know, yeah. it's a zero-sum game out there.
1: Yeah, I so appreciate you bringing this up, because I think a lot of, I think I have always been desiring, especially in my early 20s, when that first show aired after Kimmel, there was such a desire to integrate what I was learning from a spiritual perspective into this crazy world that I had sort of thrust myself into. I think understanding a little bit of the background might under might, might help listeners kind of start to bridge the gap. So my brother, um, I grew up in Maine and my brother died when I was 17. So he was 14, 13, 14. And, and I actually watched him die in my parents' mm. arms. And I think when, a, a and my parents weren't really able to be there for me. You know, one of the things I've been learning about trauma is from Gabor Mate, actually, who has this beautiful new book out. I, um, called um uh, the myth of normal. And one of the things I've learned about trauma is it's not necessarily the experience of what happens to you it's the scars that stay long after the experience right? The trauma is not the car accident the trauma is you know the 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 broken hand or the the, the bruised rib or whatever it is. Um and so for me it wasn't that my brother died it's how un available my parents were to me in that time, right? So what I started to cultivate was an incredible desire to succeed at something. Barry Katz, who's a well-known talent manager, not mine, but he managed Dave Chappelle, Tracy Morgan. He once told me that, you know, oftentimes entertainers have a goddamn God-sized hole that was blown through them in childhood. And they spend the rest of their career, the rest of their lives trying to fill it until it either takes them to the brink of overdosing and addiction or, you know, to to an awareness around what life really is. And so I think a lot of my pursuits were actually, they appeared to be very egotistical, right? I had my own show. I named it after myself. I know Hollywood agents would you know, produce any results for me in my late teens and early twenties. They just, they, they, well, he's interesting. They all said, so then what did I do? I went and I got a bunch of advertising money from Ford and overstock.com and Red Bull. And they all paid me millions of dollars for this idea that I had to put myself on after Jimmy Kimmel. Now this all sounds ridiculous. I understand, but what I'm connecting it to is sometimes our pursuits while on the surface are egotistical and self-serving it's really trying to heal a spiritual wound that has occurred, and I feel that that really is what happened with that first show and with my brother. The, 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 the spiritual wound of not being seen, heard, or felt at my most needy time as a 17-year-old, you know, turned into me being attempting to be seen, heard and felt by millions of people. Right. I mean. This is what happens when we have like unmet needs and unmet trauma. So I think that just to link it all back to spirituality, I think the show, The Edge, was a spiritual pursuit that was incredibly innovative, but incredibly flawed in its approach because it was very worldly and I just was willing to do whatever it takes to be famous. I I told my team, I had a team of like 35 people in New York city at the age of 21. And I said, we must have the show on the air by my 22nd birthday. I have to be the youngest host in late night TV. There was nothing, there's nothing inherently meaningful about that. But when we're running around with all of these Oh, what's the word for it? I've never talked about this stuff. So it's all very, it's all very, I mean, I talk about it, but not quite in this way. It's the space that you hold, you know, Greg. Um, But we're all running around with these, these, we're just unaware about these things that are often driving our lives. And I never could connect it before recently, really before understanding Gabor's work. And I've kind of gone down the rabbit hole of Dr. Monte's work about how these things stay with us until we actually shine a light until we actually look at them. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, and it was no accident that I launched after Jimmy Kimmel got all this press, you know, at least a million people a week watching. I don't remember the numbers. And I crashed and burned eight weeks later, like taken off the air, ran out of money, you know, cause it just wasn't, sustainable because it wasn't from a place of authenticity. It was actually from a place of inauthenticity. And I think that's that's where it's important to be present as you're creating things. Am I being authentic? Even if I'm being authentic about how inauthentic I am, am I being authentic in this creation or am I being inauthentic? And how can I move more toward authenticity?
0: That's really interesting that, that the way you describe that. And I wholeheartedly agree. That sometimes a lot of us, if not most of the time, we're on this autopilot, aren't we? Trying to like figure out life. But then we have to really see the things that are um, within us. And sometimes we can only do that by actually either experiencing or creating, because not everyone's going to sit there and meditate and do yoga to really feel what's going on in their life. So they they have to experience their life. And for people that have any regrets out there, you know, I always say to them, it's an experience that you were meant to see in order for you to actually heal it. So after mm. the edge, what did that teach you? Did that teach you to, you know, you 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 said you crashed and burned, but I've read after though that you've also been involved in music and you got you had another round of sort of success. there. what was that like?
1: You know, when you first asked the question, what did it teach me? At first I was gonna say nothing, but that's not true because what happened, it's very interesting. So After, I literally had to sleep on a beanbag because I didn't have enough money for a bed and I lived with two roommates in New York City and I didn't even tell them that the show had been taken off the air. I sold my car, like, and I was the one to pay the rent in New York. We were living in the Washington Heights neighborhood in New York. And um, I was so desperate for money for a few months that I actually took the rent money that they would pay me to pay uh, and would keep it, would use it for food. And eventually we got an eviction notice. Hello, of course, that's what happens in New York City after you don't pay rent for three months. But, you know, it's funny. And I just am reflecting on this now that I had to, again, and my two roommates, they sat down with me, that they loved up on me. They they wanted to know genuinely what was happening. They didn't go crazy like they should have. And they were like 28, 29, 30. I was 21. Just so fearful of not being loved for who it is I was. You know? And... So what it taught me, the only thing it taught me, because I just kept rinse, washing, and repeating these patterns until I really got it in my late 20s. But what that moment taught me is a little bit that I could do something that wasn't appropriate, steal the rent money, hello, and still be loved by these two people that I cared for, you know, best friends. We're still best friends to this day. Very good friends. I wouldn't say best friends. But- and it taught me that, oh, I can do something bad and still be loved for it. So that's probably what I, what I learned in that time after The Edge. Um, what I kept doing in, for the rest of my 20s, Greg, was I rinse, washed, and repeated that pattern. Work hard um, so that I can be successful. Work hard to be successful. And I lost it. A couple more times before the end of my 20s, I started the music campus tour. We launched these next It Acts in Music, we called it, Kanye and J. Cole and Fabulous and One Republic. And I was traveling to 30 schools a year, 30 campuses, 15 each semester. I was doing other shows for other networks, but all trying to, like Barry Katz said, fill the goddamn God-sized hole that was blown through me until... I had to actually stop and surrender, which is what I did in the basement after my um, my house got washed away in Hurricane Sandy in New York City, and I had nowhere to go except for Grandma's basement in Maine, and that's that's where the Dark Night of the Soul. I think you mentioned it at the top. Mm. That's where that started.
0: That's really that's really amazing. So the pattern repeated in your life. You kept finding this massive success and then sort of coming back down to zero, so to speak. And do you think that was there to sort of like, okay, hey, this is what's happening in your life, Jake. This is what you need to look at. And this well, is what totally. you Totally. Had...
1: And uh, th- doesn't that pattern repeat for everybody? Like, are we not all consciously or unconsciously? Like, aren't you in a pattern right now of, of some kind? I mean, oftentimes, unless we're really self-aware, I'm not sure that we... Yeah, it it just and also I think that there's a pattern with working hard and being successful. I think you know Dr. Wayne Dyer said if you are what you do then when you don't you aren't. Mm. If you are what you do then when you don't you aren't. It's almost as if if we if we don't do what we identify as I'm a CEO, I'm uh, you know uh, a, a talk show host i 'm a welder. if we don't have that to identify to it 's almost as if we ourselves cease to exist that 's how powerful the ego is, mm-hmm. so yeah, I would say those destructive patterns they just got deeper and deeper because i couldn 't never nurse the wound. The stuff won't ever do it. The materialism won't ever do it the And I wasn't that material. And thank God I wasn't doing drugs or drinking at this time. I think if I was doing drugs or drinking at this time, I would have probably, I would have probably been out of it because, meaning I would have not continued living because I was so obsessive with filling that void. And yeah, and I just kept, I just kept on. But yeah, I think the patterns, I think we're all experiencing life. in in a series of patterns that most of which that we're not really aware of until we listen to a podcast like this or have a moment like I did in the basement or, you know, truly something that makes me reflect and say, whoa, whoa, what is going on? And why am I doing that? And why do I care about that? And am I trying to nurse something that affected me many years ago that I may or may not even remember, you know?
0: Totally, and you know, like I, I resonate with that because you know, I think one of my gifts early on in life was was to be a pattern recognizer, and and this was how actually, did you
1: discover that?
0: Well, I was always able to see patterns in in nature, in in and oh. myself, and others, and in, in emotions because patterns are actually like. It's just a part of life. They're in every level, in every dimension. And you call it whatever you want, call it sacred geometry. Um, but they all connect. And so if we become aware of these things, and I became aware of this actually pretty young, and I, I almost found it like, you know, it was, you know, I, I, had a very, I was very young and I, I had a thought, I remember to this day, I was probably, I don't know, seven, eight years old. And I thought, how does an apple know how to taste good? How does an apple know how to taste good to a human being? I know that sounds really weird and simple, But to my eight year old brain, I'm like, so that really explains the interconnectedness of, of humans to nature. And so I started Mm. really, I'm like, okay. And people, I would say that to people they are like, what are you talking about? This doesn't make any sense. An apple's an apple. Like they were looking at it from just the purely, you know, the left brain side of it. And so I was looking, I was looking at it from the interconnectedness. And so I started to see that, but, and nobody was
1: encouraging you, like nobody was encouraging you to like, look at an apple differently.
0: No, no, I, I didn't have yeah. any of that. And that's, it's the funny thing in my life is I, 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 was, I was always self-driven and self-taught and on, on my path of sort of healing and spirituality. And I've been through my own dark night of the soul that actually lasted, you know, I don't know, a couple, two, three years. And uh, yeah. it was incredibly intense. So this is why, you know, why I'm here. And this is what actually like turned, I turned, I alchemized that situation. And I look at it as a gift because that's really what they are. Like life is a mm. gift. Even the challenges, even the, even the dark stuff, they're meant to show you, even in the darkest of dark, there is light. And it's, a, it's used as a tool by the light to teach you about yourself, because you wouldn't know what light is if you didn't experience the dark. It's as simple as that. And so you... Yeah, you, I always
1: wondered if I need to be a little bit... Because I see life like that, but I always wonder how delusional I am in comparison to other people for being able to see that when the times are tough. Like it's fun to talk shit, I could talk about losing everything in Hurricane Sandy now and moving to my grandma's basement. It's kind of fun to talk about now. But as it was (laughs) happening, it felt like the end every day felt worse and worse. So it's like, do we need to like practice being a little delusional in like, experiencing what we're experiencing it, but also tell ourselves it's a gift? Or do we be totally present with where we're at? or both or neither, you know, it's, I it's think you can't see thing. it. And
0: I think you can't see it until it's, 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 you're through it. Cause when you're in that darkness, you
1: can't see it. Till you're you're not going to say this yeah. is a
0: gift. This is hell. This is the worst. But when you're out of yeah. it and you look back and you're like, Holy crap, if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be here. And I wouldn't have healed and I wouldn't have all that I have and all the gifts that I have now. So when you're going through it, which I believe, and I kind of want to get into this is that I believe there's yeah. probably a, a, so many people now with the world, the way it is, they're going through some version of the dark night of the soul and they may not mm-hmm. even know what that even is because they may not mm-hmm. be looking at it through the spiritual lens they're inside of it mm-hmm. so what do you have do you, what could you say about the people like that going through that
1: about the dark night so it's interesting if you resonate with the words dark night of the soul and you're going through something in your life that is challenging that is causing yourself to be unrecognizable my suggestion is that you go Google dark night of the soul. Cause that's what I did. I was going through hell in Maine. I resisted ever going back to Maine. You know, there's a reason why I was flying first class, hanging out with celebrities and being in New York city. It's because it wasn't Maine, Greg, It's because it wasn't Maine. Okay. Cause I resisted being from that, Working class mill town in Maine, and what you resist, they tell me, persists. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up right back in the basement in Maine, right where it all started, <laughs> literally in the basement that I was conceived in. If that's not a funny joke, that the universe <laughs> was playing. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So look, I remember about six months in. You know, fractured family. Unfortunately, right after my brother died. And I remember I was spending time with my dad, quite a bit of time with my dad, who struggled with Parkinson's disease for 20 years, all throughout my brother's diagnosis and death, and then, you know, through to his death in 2019. Mm. And so part of the qualities of Parkinson's, if that's what you want to call it, is a whisper talk sometimes when the person is down. And I remember, you know, he he would have a very low voice. I won't do it now for your listeners, because I want people to be able to hear it, but I remember I was telling him, I was like, I just don't understand. Like no one's returning my calls. I can't make any money. I've started at that point. I had started two businesses that had failed in the basement in total. I started and failed at five businesses, never got a job, which was quite to the contrary of what many people said. They said, just go get an effing job. I was like, you don't understand. I'm an entrepreneur. And like, I had a big life once upon a time. Like it was just really, it was really painful. And I remember my dad was down one day. He hadn't taken his medication down in terms of his voice was very light. And I was talking and trying to process and like a little nuts in my head. And he just kind of whispered, again, not because he was trying to whisper, but because he had Parkinson's. He said, it sounds like you're in a dark night. And for some reason that got me. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. What did you just say? He says, a dark night of the soul. I said, what is that? And I went to research what a dark night of the soul is. And I couldn't believe Greg Hand to God, hand to the universe, hand to Allah, whatever you want to call it. I could not believe that there was a thing that described almost perfectly what I was going through. Couldn't believe it. And it did. And then I started to cross-reference resources because I thought, you know, Google just had me well read or something where they were just (laughs) showing me what I... So then I go read the other things and everything's saying the same. And then I remember in the book that I read or the pamphlet, whatever it is, one of the things that I read as a final kind of paragraph was, which was actually a big question I had, how do I know when the dark night is over? And I was reading this book over the next several weeks. And I remember the last paragraph was, how do I know when the dark night is over? Whatever it is that we know the dark night is over. It said, when we realize there was no dark night of the soul at all. Hmm. And, that in combination with many other things that were going on in my life, I was in recovery in a 12-step recovery program. I was really focused on serving as a path to healing, something I had never done before because I was always tick, 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 tick. That really crystallized, crystallized something inside of me where I was like, huh, was this all an illusion? I was still in the basement. I was still making no money. But something started to turn in those weeks that followed my reading of that when I realized that this is not what I thought it was. I still don't know what the hell it is. I don't know why I'm in Lewiston, Maine. I don't know why none of my businesses are working. But something just lifted off of me when I read that. So for anybody who thinks they're going through a dark night or who are going through challenges transitions i would encourage you to just read about it because there's something when you read about something it's a spiritual experience it really is when you read about it you're able to shine the light on something that maybe was in a dark room before
0: how did your dad know what this term was
1: how did i not know
0: but you know your your, did your father tell you about this term
1: well, he just said it sounds like you're going through a dark night. So, so was, was he I,
0: spiritual? Where, where did he get this information from?
1: Yeah, I mean, he was he was into Wayne Dyer and oh. all of these people and and Deepak Chopra, and you know, he, I, I would say he was spiritually curious. I think, um, you know, growing up Catholic like we did, and he was still Catholic till the end of his life, which is so interesting to me because he. he he was really able to question things. He was a great arguer. That, that man loved to argue with people because he was like a lawyer. It's like having a lawyer for a father, uh, which was really challenging and not easy and not enjoyable, to be totally honest with you. I have chosen to be more authentic about my childhood, Greg, rather than to pretend like, oh, my parents did the best they can, they best they could. I said, they did They did what they did. I don't know if it was the best, but they did what they did. Anyways, mm-hmm. he was able to just see things from so many different sides, which was Great for his spiritual curiosities because yeah, I would say he was a spiritual guy, and but I would say that he was really plagued with a lot of demons and a lot of darkness that he couldn't find his way through, and he was trying like hell, and you know, emotionally, I think he was just uh, yeah, I think he was just really spent, especially twenty years of Parkinson's with such early onset. He was thirty nine when he was diagnosed, and I happen to believe mm-hmm. that there's a correlation between one's own emotional fitness, emotional state, and what we create for ourselves. Now, a lot of people argue with me. They're like, well, you're saying that I created my disease? Well, I don't know. But Mm -hmm. I certainly am thinking about these things, right? Because I've seen so much disease in my own family. Anyways, so I would say he was a spiritual guy.
0: You know what I like about what you just said is that I do believe that we are creators of our illnesses. But the actual positive thing out of that, that actually the most empowering thing out of that is that if we created the disease... We, we can, can uncreate actually it. uncreate it. Yeah. yeah, totally. So how, totally how did you agree. know you were like going through, um, you know, that you were through it? How did, what did it feel like to know that, okay, I, this is what I'm going through. What, the, how do you know that you were done, it? you were through it? Or did, was it a certain period of time? Was it years? And you said, you know what? I feel a weight lifted off me. I feel my heart opened up. I feel uh, driven in, in my purpose to actually serve was that a period of time? Did you, was it actually when you created that podcast? Was that a part of that process to serve?
1: So this is the thing, because I think we all want answers to life's biggest questions. And I've really come to believe that sometimes asking life's biggest questions, and I meet a lot of people now at the retreat center, literally, that are coming in, being blown open from COVID the past two years, whatever, and all the repercussions and ripple that that's had. And they're just asking a whole lot of questions. Sometimes questions, I believe, are meant to stay as questions uh, and not always be answered. So I will try to answer yours, but I'm answering (laughs) it through through that. Okay through that view because i think it's important and also to say that i don't know so i don't know the moment that things started to lift just know it started to lift um the clouds they, they you know i i would say what's what i started to feel and i think this was a big part of my 12-step program. By the way, Greg, thanks for holding space for conversations like these to happen.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure. I mean, all
1: these other interviews that I've done before, it's very sort of, ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. this is like spacious. And I and I love that a lot. And I I just thank you for that. Oh,
0: you're so welcome.
1: Yeah, I would say, and I really hope this is helpful for people too, because this is such, this is such, this is the goodness. This is the sweetness of life when you can just plug a podcast or play a podcast and actually start thinking about these bigger questions. What I would say happened for me is, and the 12-step program was a big part of that. I started to create from a place of surrender instead of hustle. So my whole life, I had hustled my face off so that I wouldn't have to look at what I didn't want to look at, which was Mm. the tremendous pain and void that I felt. Now, what I do these days and what I started doing in that basement is creating from a place of surrender, taking action on ideas or things for the thrill of the action. Like a dog hangs itself out the window for the thrill of hanging itself out the window. It doesn't matter if a few flies get in its eyes. It's going down the road 60 miles an hour hanging itself because it's a thrill. Now I take action for the sake of taking action. And that's enjoyable to me. Um, so I would say that was a big thing when I stopped living for the results that I could produce or think I could produce and instead just focused on the action. I became an action taking machine and literally, you know, to go from living in that basement. I mean, I I won't speed through the timeline here, but just to demonstrate to people who are listening, what shifted for me, there was a lot of spiritual shifts happening behind the scenes, but going from that basement in 2015 Moving to Maui, which I had never thought I would move to Hawaii. And I did that literally overnight from grandma's basement to I became Oprah's neighbor on Maui. Now, you may or may not like Oprah. I don't, doesn't really bother me one way or the other. What I'm saying is I went from a basement in a mill town Mm. to the neighbor of a billionaire. And that's the point that I'm trying to make, like in terms of a quantum leap, when people talk about these quantum leaps. And I didn't know that Oprah lived. On you know, up there. I just found this place on Craigslist and decided it was the next right action to take. And then I would Airbnb the cottage, which was in the backyard that would pay for the house. And the cottage was never empty. So I had a free house that I stayed in and had open bedrooms. So I invited people to come to Maui for free to be in service to them. And then that's where the aha came that people want to feel at home in their transformation. And then I created a retreat center. And then I moved to Costa Rica. It's just like, I just started to take action. And then I turned the results over to a power greater than myself. Universe, God, source. And that kept me clean. And I mean that like in the sober sense, like kept my mind sober. Suddenly I wasn't trying to orchestrate something to happen. I was just letting it happen. And taking the action. And if something didn't happen that I wanted to have happen, happens all the time, even now, where I, I tr- that's where that surrender comes in. Surrender is not giving up. It's just allowing to be what is and living life on life's terms.
0: That's amazing.
1: Ooh, this is a big one. That's, that's <laughs> this amazing. Is a
0: big one. No, that really warms my heart because that's only a short seven years ago and to have what happened seven years ago well i mean that only happened for you a short seven years ago seven years years ago yeah yeah right that you that you just had this quantum leap in manifesting the outside of what was happening inside and this is something that they don't teach you in life they don't teach you in school and your parents our parents don't teach us this that it's always about expectation of what we need to control what we need to fight for and this is what the world is sort of like going through on a collective basis is that Mm you know, they're, they're sort of fighting for an identity outside themselves. And I'm not saying that's for everybody. And that road can go on for an in, infinite, infinite time. But the second that life gives you an opportunity and you, whether you call it dark night of the soul, whether you call it a, a spiritual revolution, you know, you start to look within yourself. And then, you know, for me, for example, I, you know, because of my gift of, of patterns, I learned that, you know, at a pretty young age at what I was thinking, feeling, and believing created my reality. But that still wasn't enough. I actually still, even knowing that was enough, I actually had to go through a dark, dark night of the soul basically twice because there was a point where I walked around enlightened for two weeks straight and you couldn't get me out of the moment. I wouldn't read a book. I wouldn't watch TV because I knew like it would actually shift my awareness. So I was just walking in the state of absolute bliss. Yeah. But then I had, I had to get back into the world. I had to integrate because, you know, my mind's like, well, I got to make money. So I sort of, I don't know if I lost that trust in the process, but something got lost there. And that's where mm-hmm. I had the biggest test of my life that actually brought me to my deathbed. And it, it took me... Which both, was why, what brought
1: you to your deathbed specifically?
0: Well, I, I manifested an illness that no doctor could diagnose. I was going to hospitals and doctors. I was, you know, ambulance would come get me. And I literally, I tried dying one night because I was just so tired and so weak. I was down to a hundred pounds. And so imagine my mind, like in the ego sense of like having been enlightened. And what do you mean le- you
1: were t- you tried dying? Like you
0: tried to commit suicide? No, I was just laying there. And my body was, my spirit was so weak inside my body. And I just like, I'm done. So I actually was just, trying to pull my energy out of my body to say, I I give up. I surrender. I surrender to death. And it was actually really good. I think about it. I think about now, it's not so sad, but even a year or two ago, I think about that. I was like, oof, that was a really sad time. But my Mm -hmm. goodness, it taught me so much that, you know what? When I didn't leave, I was like, you know what? This is not it for me. I'm I'm here Mm -hmm. for for more. And from that moment on, I chose to like, I remember those moments of when I was enlightened. Mm -hmm. And I took responsibility for my thoughts, feelings, and actions. And I am now, I can say to this day, I'm the strongest on every level that I've ever been because I took responsibility from within instead of actually looking out there because I was looking out there for answers. So again, even though I was actually shown, you know, like, so it was almost like a big shot to the ego in the way, right? And I think we all have to have our ego shattered in order to actually have that inner truth revealed and that can look like a myriad of ways for anybody you know whatever education or whatever path that you're on mm. it can look like a crazy a crazy uh, amount of things especially mm. what's going on in the world now right cuz collectively i think fear is being you know like just bombarded on people on a daily basis
1: yeah and i also think that things do not need to be perfect in order for it to be completed mm. so you know A lot of people think, wow, you moved to Maui. Wow, you know, you were so abundant with your Airbnb. Wow, this, wow, that, you know, and then I created this retreat center. And then the retreat center really took off. A lot of people think, wow, his life so perfect. But when I created the retreat center, you know, Imaloa Institute, the institute here in Costa Rica, I was playing such a small game. In relationship to the two business partners that I had at the time, they became ex-business partners and stepped out of the company during COVID. I was playing such a small game that I would have to go through a whole nother initiative process around like stepping in my personal power, what that looks like for someone who has created so much in his life, you know, Um, but yet is unable to like get himself out of the shadows of these two people, which is what I was literally forced to do when I was asked to step in as CEO to Imaloa. A place I had created and envisioned, co-created with a lot of other people, but that I initially had the vision for, I was asked to step in as the CEO, and it was the single most terrifying thing. And yet the experience of clients was, we thought you were the CEO the whole time. So how Mm. we see ourselves often in these journeys is often not how people are seeing uh, us. It's, yeah, it's often very different, in fact. Yeah, it's an interesting reflection. Um and how did you I'm just curious for you how you how did you end up kind of right sizing yourself from 100 pounds to where you are now and and not trying to die.
0: See, and and that's that's a great question and uh you know that's something that again wasn't an overnight thing. It took me years. Actually, it took me no. probably a full 5 years to heal from. Mm-hmm. Where I would I would have like I'd, it would feel like I would have a my heart i had heart palpitations probably on 10 times a day and it felt like my heart was going to stop and i was like i could die at any moment so imagine like being around and i had this fear that i could die at any moment and and i I was kind of i was okay with it actually just i just i'd be feel bad for the people that were around me so i went through this so then i had to like and it's crazy because i had to actually get a job uh hustling beer for for 20 year olds and i was like 35 years old and these 20 year olds were telling me what to do making fun of me and stuff like that so i had to humble myself to such a a level of servitude and so i worked my way up with jobs and i and every moment i said even when i was challenged every moment i was challenged i said this is all a test and i'm going to pass every single test that comes to me through my heart not through my mind but through my heart and every few months upgrade 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 mm. and not only upgrade on the outside but my inside my body started reacting to my thoughts to my feelings to my beliefs and so i healed you know it took me a while to heal because my body was pretty pretty beat down because my spirit was not happy with with my path and uh, so it that's the thing is like you said it's like you know it's not just one night of, of, of a miracle uh, life that's nothing's perfect y- you have to walk the path And so you had this podcast, right? So were you doing the podcast in Maui? And then that was a period of time and you were growing that?
1: Yeah, so I started the podcast in, well, actually, I remember it was September of 2014. It was about a year and two months after I hit the basement, started and failed at five businesses. Podcast was the most unlikely to work because who the hell was making money from podcasts back in the day? Mm -hmm. Um, Even now, I think it's sometimes elusive for folks. And to top it off, in order to do a podcast, unless I was doing it in person, which ain't nobody coming to Lewiston, Maine to do a podcast, I needed the internet. And grandma, whose basement I lived in, did not have internet. So, I had to do the podcast at a Dunkin' Donuts parking lot, half a mile away from the house, and my grandmother's 2004 Jetta. But awesome. it suited me. You know, I, I had a mm-hmm. Rolodex of people that I knew and enjoyed and appreciated from my previous entertainment life. And I had a real desire to do right by a lot of the people that I had hurt. Part of my self destructive patterns, Greg, was. I would really use people and I wouldn't know that I was using them. We often don't because human beings have hearts and consciousness. And like we are, when we are self-aware, I do believe that what I think, was it Maya Angelou or someone, um, when you know better, you do better. I do believe that because when you don't know, you just don't know. And I just didn't know. So, you know, here I was in this 12 step program, failed at five businesses Still in the basement. And I said, Well, podcasting seems to be interesting. I was listening to Joe Rogan back in the day, early days. And I was like, hmm, I can just sit on a microphone and talk to people. And I have this 12 step amends process. So maybe my living amends to people that I had harmed, who happened to be really notable people <laughs> who people wanted to listen to, could be like a conversation about what their life is like. And that's literally how I started the Jake Sassicle show. Um, my first few guests were. People that you had never heard on podcasts, maybe now they do podcasts, I don't know, but like it was like Beyonce's publicist, the woman that was responsible for Beyonce and Prince and Adele and Mariah Carey and hearing her talk for the first time ever. Um, Pat Croce, who used to own the Philadelphia 76ers, how he brought that team from last place NBA team to champions in five years. Um, a bunch of people, Stormy Simon was one of the first... Fortune 500 presidents and CEOs of any major, or the first CEO of a Fortune 500, Fortune 500 company who was female, um, one of the first, not the first, but one of the first and only. So these conversations just with people that I had in my phone that didn't really do podcasts. I was interviewing them from a Dunkin' Donuts parking lot. That's awesome. <laughs> and the first episode grew to like hundred thousand, or the first the first month grew to hundred thousand downloads. And almost immediately, I was able to monetize. I partnered with the uh, mid-roll people uh, who now are owned by Scripps, Scripps Company or something. And I remember seeing the first month of ads after three months on this podcast in my grandma's basement because they were literally emailing me on my phone because I still didn't have internet. I remember thinking, I'm going to make $8,900 next month on pre-sold ads what the hell is happening? (laughs) I'm just literally talking to someone on a microphone. And I did 300 episodes of that show over the course of the next several years. It's what, you know, I brought it to Maui with me, of course, because I was doing it from wherever. And you know, at one point I had to, in season three, I had to let it go. Sometimes this is a good spiritual practice to have, I think is sometimes when you're holding on to something so tight, because it's all you ever knew. And for me, it was how I knew how to earn along with, the Airbnb that I had, I couldn't open up my fist so that I could let whatever was next come through. And so I had to stop the show um, because I wasn't thrilled by it anymore. I mean, I was doing, gotta realize, I wasn't making 10000 a month. On podcasts, just by doing one show here and there. I had three to four shows a week, booking, producing. I had my editors in Australia. Like it was a job. Mm -hmm. And I was burnt out from doing it. I didn't want to talk to people on Skype. At that point, it was Skype anymore. And I wanted to have more in person interactions in my life. I was living in Maui. So I had to let it go. Well, I chose to let it go. Um, And then the next thing, the minute I let go of the podcast, the next thing started to come in, which was. Imaloa Institute, the retreat center, it started to materialize.
0: Okay, so how did that, first off, what does Imaloa mean? And how did that materialize? Where did that idea come from?
1: So Imaloa is a Hawaiian word that was named by a Hawaiian elder um, when I was living there. Here's the thing. This is, a, again, another spiritual principle that I, that I live by. I don't know if it's spiritual or if it just works. Our word creates our world. And so when I started seeing the pattern of people coming to my home in Maui, feeling so at home, and yet also feeling Mm -hmm. like they were going through some transformational experience, I realized, oh, people want to feel at home in their transformation. So I came up with this idea of Imaloa years before, and I would just talk about it to everybody. If you go talk to my friends on Maui, the number one thing that they'll say that probably that they remember about me is, I was just talking about this thing. Eventually called Imaloa. And one night I was talking about it, and some Hawaiian woman at this gathering I was at came up to me and she said, What you're speaking of is Imiloa. And I was like, She literally was like an old Hawaiian woman with like gray hair. I was like, Who is this wise woman telling me the name of my retreat center? So I went and I did research, and Imaloa means exploration driven by a sense of wonder and imagination. Mm exploration driven by a sense of wonder and imagination. So that's what it means. And again, I just kind of created that intercontinental Institute. I just liked the way it felt when I said it, I want to build an intercontinental Institute, um, for the education and advancement of human beings. I had these eight pillars of what became our core values. Um, You know, and eventually I met people that could help me make it happen. I met my business partner through a friend who was staying at my house and through Facebook posts, he wrote five Facebook posts. He had a huge network of people. He shared my vision on his Facebook wall, about like this institute and everything like this. This was before like retreat centers were all the rage and people were going on retreats. This was like 2017. And he raised, we raised, he raised two and a half million dollars in five Facebook posts for this retreat center. Um, And so we were off and running, identifying where we wanted to do it. We were originally supposed to do it in Hawaii, um, didn't work because of certain regulatory things. And so we ended up coming to Costa Rica. And obviously it's evolved and transformed a ton since then. But again, it was that taking action, turning the results over, not hustling, creating from a place of surrender. Um, selling and marketing from a place of attraction, not promotion. Don't hustle people, let them be attracted. All these things that I had learned in the basement, in the 12-step program, and, you know, with these spiritual teachers that had come up, I was now able to integrate and implement as part of my journey with Imaloa. So it's kind of beautiful in that way. You know, one thing with the hero's journey or dark night of the soul, I think both of these things talk about it. The hero's journey, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, talks about this more, I think, is the journey out into the abyss into a new world is not created until you have a treasure to bring back for the community. Mm-hmm. And so in many ways, Imaloa is my treasure that I've brought back for the community, that I am creating for the community of people that, you know, I'm closest with and those who I'm becoming close with, thanks to Imaloa. Um, So, yeah, in some ways, it feels like that it's like a completion, that there's there's a completion to that part of the journey. And really, that completion has just happened recently. Where now we're moving into the next chapter of Himaloa. What it looks like to actually scale the business because we're sold out for two years. We have two years worth, of ret- or a year and a half, of retreats that are sold out. So we need to think about what the next chapter is without overgrowing. Um, you know, and that's uh, that's a beautiful thing. But um,
0: yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> I mean, like looking back at that, I mean, you must now be able to have the perspective to look back at your life and be like everything has led me to this moment, to this being that I am now, with the skills that I have in order to actually manifest this wonderful service uh, retreat. And, you know, nothing would have happened uh, without my challenges, without these tough experiences. Now, what I look at, when I look at you, you're just like, your energy is so high. you're You're so full of love and I can actually feel it from here. And so I'm imagining, you know, the reason why things are just so flowing for you is because you are at such a high level of servitude for humanity on, on, on their path of awakening. And the fact that you're like booked for a year and a half, I mean, it speaks volumes. I mean, I don't hear it from the ego. I just hear it from a place where people just feel so warm and welcome and such a a place of support to actually get through what they need to get through because everyone's going through all sorts of different things at different levels. Right. So you have to be able to like handle all of that too.
1: It's very lovely of you to say, I think that, no, there's, there's very little legal, believe me, it's more daunting to be booked a year and a half in advance for multiple reasons than it is um, pride. <laughs> Although I am proud of the team because they're in their own path of transformation and growth, um, you know, as the conduits to this thing, as the Sherpa to this huge vision for the world. This is not, your, I, I joked on Instagram the other day, this is not your mother's retreat center. You know, this is like highly skilled teachers, transformational leaders, educators coming in, people who literally trust us to go through this wild transformation in the jungle at the top of a mountain, on the edge of a cliff, overlooking the ocean. Like the food is gourmet. The accommodations feel a little surreal. I I call it, it's like... Every accommodation is a storied accommodation, which means people have a story of their accommodation when they leave, whether it's bathtubs in the sloth sanctuary or a 200-year-old home from Bali. It's pretty nuts, to be honest with you. But the thing that I'm getting at here is, I I think that it the the service component is massive. You called it servitude. I think. And, and I think it cannot be stated enough that if you want to experience something in your life, A, B, C, X, Y, Z, I don't care what it is, finding a way to be, you know, Emma Lois says that our leadership approach is from a spirit of service and a posture of learning, a spirit of service and a posture of learning. And that is something that is so important, because and you can see it it's probably why you can feel it even though we're on a zoom video call or whatever this video call thing that you use is <laughs> Sorry, i have no clue what i'm on i'm just talking to a cool guy who i think is in canada from your accent are you in canada Canadian? i
0: am in canada Good. nice nice ear where
1: here. in canada are you north in... somewhere very north
0: <laughs> i'm in i'm in bc canada but i am in the okay. lunez
1: Okay, I would say so because the beard is to keep you warm and then you're wearing some sort of an alpaca animal on your shoulders. I don't know what it is, but I could tell the guy was from Canada. Um <laughs> nice. No, but here here's the thing. You can feel that because you you or this is what I was going to say. Is you can sniff out first of all inauthenticity, but also when someone's doing it for themselves rather than insert, you can smell that. If you're listening to your gut, if your gut's clean and, and whatever it is, you can smell these things from a mile away if, you, if you're if you noticing it, because it's so obvious. Even if people do a podcast with their name on it, they can be totally insert. Look at Oprah. I mean, not to bring up Oprah twice in one conversation, but I do tend to enjoy her. And it was fascinating to be up there with her and not with her, but like in the house, in my house, not her house. I was never in her house. Um, is, you know, the woman is like all about herself. I mean, look at someone who is literally all about herself. Oh, you know, her internet, when I would walk by her house, it was called OW Ranch or something like Oprah Winfrey Ranch. That was her internet thing. Um, If I wanted to connect her, like everything is Oprah. The Oprah Winfrey show, Harpo is Oprah spelled backwards. But this woman is in service to humanity and she made billions of dollars doing it. And you can see it. You may disagree with or how she shows up that's fine but yeah
0: that's really interesting so this retreat it just sounds like an absolute wonderful thing now have you experienced some of these some of these uh retreats yourself or are you just do you look at it from you know the perspective of management and you just allow things happen or do you actually kind of sit in there and experience some of these transformational retreats yourself
1: so, I am a big believer that uh, there is such a thing in this world, in this woo woo world of transformation, that there is such a thing as a separation of church and state. And so, what I mean by that is, I see a lot of other retreat CEOs and a lot of other retreat people like in it with their people. Um, by the way, obnoxiously two people have decided to cut the grass across the street from me. I hope that you are able to hear everything I'm saying. Great. No, it's me? all
0: good. Sounds, sounds clear. Yep. No, I'm problem.
1: so <laughs> sorry that they're ruining this podcast. No, like to no. give a piece of my ear, a piece of my mind.
0: Um, there's my there own goes, triggers. And, right? and there goes, and there goes a the spiritual guy.
1: There we go. It's out, it's out the window. You put a couple of lawnmowers across the street and suddenly this Buddha ain't a Buddha at all shaved head or not. Okay. Exactly. Um, but <laughs> But yeah. I do believe in a separation of church and state. And what I mean by that is look, we have a lot of people coming through in Maloa, right? We have 50 retreats in the next 52 weeks, I think it is, or something like that. It's a lot of people. And because I'm the CEO of that place, I certainly get the benefit of all the teachers and teachings that are coming through. I spend time with people before and after their retreats. I go and I spend time with the retreats, but I try not to be too much of a a staple inside the actual workshops because. It's not mine. It's theirs. And I think that there are a lot of folks, a lot of leaders, a lot of CEOs, retreat center owners that get into this world so that they can... Learn from all these people. I'm not particularly interested, to tell you the truth, because I think it, it it blurs a line that needs to be really solid in order for the integrity of the organization to thrive. So um, I do keep keep a separation. I love the people that we have and the the mm-hmm. participants. And you know, I give you an example of something else I do or don't do is I'm never there on the last day of a retreat. And this was strategic because what I saw was happening is people were coming up to me on the last day of the retreat in tears. Most people are in tears most days at Maloa because it really is ridiculously awe-inspiring. And what they're learning is often transforming their lives. What a beautiful way to be in service. But they'll come to me the last day in tears thanking me for creating this. And I don't want to be the object of, I'm very grateful, but I don't want to be the object of people's transformation. I don't want to be that. I am not that. It's not who I am. Um, it's not who I am to Imaloa. Like their experience was because we figured out the right combination of nature and food and a team that they feel so comfortable with. And then what they're learning inside of that, that's creating this experience home it has nothing to do with me. I appreciate what they're and I can accept people's adulation. Believe me, I'm very good at accepting people's gratitude but it's not for me it's not for me and by me not being there it gets to be directed where it really belongs which is in the nature or to the team or when they're looking at their food just totally mesmerized wondering how the hell they're going to recreate this for themselves at home Hint: they're probably not going to be able to that's why we're doing a cookbook you know But let that be their experience, not some bald guy who's carrying a few extra pounds, probably sweating in the jungle that they want to come up and hug and find out how he did it. Because it's not it's not for me, Greg. It's not for me. And anyways,
0: there's, uh, there's a lot of humbleness there. And that's just so warm to the heart. So you must, you know, to be able to balance, you know, your life and, and I guess, you know, being surrounded in, in, in luxury and in the jungle is probably makes it a lot easier to, to you know be present and all that. But do you have your own spiritual practice that you sort of it gets you through the day that you, it helps balance yourself if you're having a you know, maybe something come up? Is there something that you do to practice daily or weekly to help ground yourself, to help connect yourself to your heart and, and to the world around you?
1: Yeah, thank you for for asking that. So so a couple different answers that I have. I discovered Ashtanga yoga when I was on Maui, which, of course, is by many, according to many folks, is a pretty extreme form of yoga. It's it's from Mysore, India, and I think it's often was... the um the warrior yoga, or it's like a warrior type, like preparing for battle or something like that. Anyways, it's an extreme practice, which is just the way I like it. Um, and I try to study as close with the lineage as possible. So I found this teacher in Maui, uh, Nancy, who actually is like 75 or 80 now. She studied with the guru in India back in the 60s. And was one of the three women that brought it to the West. Her name is Nancy Gilgoff. And she studied with, I believe, Patabi Joyce in the 60s. And then, yeah, she was from Chicago at that time. And then literally was one of the three women that were charged with bringing Ashtanga back to the West. Fascinating story. So I like to get as close to lineages as possible for spiritual shit that I'm doing. Um, And then I would say, you know, I have a meditation practice, um, which is a pretty simple meditation practice, um, you know, 35, 40 minutes a day. And then I'm also a member of the Baha'i faith. Um, Baha'is believe in the universality of God, religion, and humanity, that we're all actually one. Um, and, you know, I would say I'm less involved as a member of the Baha'i faith these days, but it has certainly informed um, certainly informed a lot of the social structures at Imaloa, actually, in terms of how we pay our team, um, the profits generated and how those profits are dispersed, the equality of men and women. Um, you know, many women, many senior women are on the senior leadership team at Imalowa, which, according to the women, is a beautiful thing because they often, you know, either don't make as much as others or whatever it is for doing the same job. And so those have been informed by my minimal understanding of the Baha'i faith. I would never propose or be be, be an expert, even though I've been a Baha'i since I was 21. Um, So those are kind of the three pillars. And then, of course, I have other things that I do or partake in, um, sound healing and all that. But that's not really a practice. That's more of just taking in other people's mastery, I guess you could say. Yeah.
0: So do you find like, you know, throughout your day and and where you got to now from your experiences, do you find? You're still challenged on sort of the, you know, on the left brain side of maybe the ego is popping up. Maybe something's triggering you. Are you finding now more of that, you know, as you're going on and days go by, these are becoming less and less because of your practice. Because, you know, people could say, you know, they read a book, The Power of Now, or whatever, and you get that for a moment, but then you still have these triggers. Are you finding for yourself that, These Maybe you don't have triggers anymore. I I don't know. It sounds like you're surrounded by absolute beauty and, and luxury, but I'm still imagining that you still have challenges. Is that so? Or are you finding them happening less and less?
1: What I would say, and this is perhaps the most surprising thing for me, not surprising, but like when I didn't have any money, That in the basement, that was the biggest thing ever. (laughs) Like, how do I not have the money to go buy a Monster Energy drink, which I used to drink all the time, and I don't drink anymore. Like, literally, I could not find – I'd have to ask my grandma for $2.25 to go buy a Monster Energy drink. Yeah? I mean, (laughs) I had literally nothing. And so I thought that was challenging. Now what I have – now, it's such a great question, Greg, because for anyone who's like – On a path at any stage, I think it's just important to reflect on these things. I have more challenges and triggers today than I've ever had in my life. I was on a staff meeting this morning and I found myself totally thrown and triggered, like in a whole, to the point where I actually wrote my senior team a message. I wasn't mean to anybody. I wasn't yelling. I don't do that anymore. That's obviously not happening anymore. Not obviously, but for me, that's not happening anymore but totally triggered you could hear it in my voice i was jumping in my voice i was so upset about whatever it is we were talking about and i wrote my team after i'm like you know what i'm choosing these days guys to be more authentic than inauthentic rather than always being the eternal optimist and so i allowed myself to feel the feelings that i felt today on the call if i disturbed or disrupted any of you please let me know but you know obviously we're all here to just this just happened this morning And they, you know, two of them wrote back and said, no, it was perfectly justified. And, you know, because I stay on my side of the street, I can be angry and stay on my side of the street. I don't need to call you an idiot because I'm angry. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So I have more triggers and more challenges these days. What I have besides the practices is an awareness that the space that I occupy is the eye of the hurricane. So the reason why the triggers are used more as rocket fuel rather than debilitating is because of my awareness around, wait a minute, I'm in the center of a hurricane. There are lightning storms happening all around me. I do not need to be the lightning storms. I can be in the center. And that is, for me, serenity. That is what serenity is. They talk about it a lot in these 12-step meetings. God grant me the serenity to accept the things what is serenity? And what are you accepting? You know, it's like that (laughs) serenity. Okay. Serenity is not absence of triggers happening. Serenity is how I'm dealing with myself in the process of it. Can I stay on my side of the street? Can I observe a lightning storm without trying to fix it or move myself or others away from it or closer to it, depending on how I feel about the person? Like, can I, you know, keep some, it's that eye of the hurricane. So, I would actually say there's more issues, more challenges, more triggers. I I deal with it differently. Um, It's also part of living a big life, you know? Like, Imaloa is probably one of the, well, I don't know what we are in comparison to anyone else because I never ask what anybody else is doing. I just kind of do my own thing. But I think we're probably, I don't know if there are many other retreat centers that are sold out for a year and a half in Costa Rica or in different places around the world. I mean, it's kind of bananas. So with that, a big, big life comes big, big challenges and huge responsibility. So I owe it to my team, for example, to immediately write them an email once I've recognized that I've flown off the handle in the way that I fly off the handle, which is a bit elevated of a voice and, you know, a little anxious these days. 20 years ago, I used to scream like a -a banshee. I mean, when I was running the TV show, I would shred people like verbally and it was really negative and dark. And I don't need to do that these days. No one needs to do that. But I just hadn't dealt with myself enough yet to know that I didn't have to do that. Um, yeah, so that's why I just thought it was like immediately incumbent upon me to write my team because it's my responsibility to get right-sized, no matter how big the shame might be. I, was, I felt pretty shitty after that, to be honest with you. Even though I hadn't done anything wrong, I still didn't feel good And I had some shame. And in the face of that shame, I took action and I wrote my team. And I think that's what we owe it. That's what we owe to ourselves as we do grow on this path is to take responsibility for what's ours. If we may have negatively impacted somebody else, you know, my GM said there was no negative impact. Great. Still glad that I was able to be there instead of just hiding, which is what I've done for a lot of my life.
0: I love that, man. That's, that's so beautifully described. And, and, you know, the eye of the hurricane and how authentic you are and how, you know, you're, you're just being honest with yourself and everybody around you. And that's, you know, not necessarily an easy thing to do. You, you have to get to a point in your life to actually get there, to recognize that within yourself um just to be honest with yourself and say you know because you're a spiritual being doesn't mean you're not going to have triggers like if you think that you are then you know you may have to look at yourself more deeply we're not we're not living in a cave i think people who are living in a cave and and meditating all day they have the easy way i mean the world that we live in now to be spiritual and to be connected with the world around us is one of the biggest challenges uh, a spiritual person can ever really go through
1: so I must ask then, because you asked the question, and it seems like you were dancing a little bit. Like, do you still have triggers, or is your life really perfect, Jungle Boy? Do you have <laughs> triggers, Greg? Do you have triggers? Absolutely. Trigger?
0: Yeah, and there's days yeah. where you know I'm 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 an empath as well, so I, I'm very connected to the earth energy. So just actually funny, you mentioned this. Just the past two days, I've been energetically feeling very heavy. Uh, you know heavy in my heart and low energy and yeah. you know I, i'm not going to pretend to people s- say that i'm always having a day where i'm just floating on clouds that's not why we're here we're, we're here to actually like grow and be realistic and authentic so definitely yeah. but but the, what you had said earlier was that you know the speed at which you can recognize it and be honest with yourself mm-hmm. is is the equivalent to how you know The the level you're at spiritually, in my opinion, because anybody can talk a big game, but it's always I measure people by their actions. And to me, when I when I see you and, and you react that way, your action is taking responsibility and writing that email. That's the action put into manifestation. And so that's how you can actually measure people. It's through their action, because you know there's great actors out there, and they could say whatever they want to say, and if you believe them at face value, hey, cool, but what's the real meat behind everything? What's really going on? Let's see what you're manifesting with those words. Are, are you walking in the talk? And that's not easy oh, to like, do in this day. like we're, we're living in a world that is just we're, we're being tested on every level with, with, our, with TV, media, social media, with competition to, to, to be something that we're not, right like, And so to be authentic and to be humble at the same time is actually a recipe for spiritual and honestly physical success you know and
1: and i think especially in uh, with our fellow masters of the matrix
0: um
1: meaning with people who are not only on a spiritual path but who dare to teach other people about what that path could look like and i do think it's very daring and i think it's very noble of many people but let me tell you something as someone who talked to 2000 people over 2018, 19 and 20, literally 13 hours a day of calls with retreat hosts to be able to learn the market. Cause I had never been to a retreat by the way, before I started this retreat center. So I had to do a lot of learning that he had to go for his little MBA and retreat master's program or whatever it was. But what I learned, Greg, is how many charlatans there are in this business. And I was scared to call it out because I wanted the business and I didn't know who was who or what was what, or was it just my own projection and judgment? Now I take great pride in kicking people out of Imaloa, and not renewing their contracts. Someone screams at my team member, even though it's a five star, whatever we are, I will kick them out and get them a hotel at the beach and they are no longer welcomed at Imaloa. And I've had to do that before. And that is just because you're not going to yell at people because it's a five star. What are you talking about? Or like charlatans, people who I've booked before where then I get, Instagram messages from people who say that they stole their money or whatever it is. You know, some of these spiritual people, they're like, whatever it was, just back then I was like, oh, whatever. Like, I just got to learn. Now it's like, I'm super decisive because we also owe it to ourselves, those who are actually on the path to not only call out, but not support the people who we see as inauthentic not and and it's not made me entirely popular in certain circles in Costa Rica but I don't really care. I spent 10 years in New York. I know how to run these, you know, run around these jungles. And, you know, it's like, and I'm running around with local people, right? It's usually the white people, the colonizers of which I am one of them who come into this and think that they're going to start saving humanity, but they're really building schools just for white people and not the local Costa Ricans. Excuse me. Let's talk about how it's an authentic, you know, having conversations like these is extremely uncomfortable to people who are revving their spiritual ego. But it's why conversations like what you and I are having in the show that you're doing is so important because it starts to speak truth to what is chaos. I mean, this is often chaotic. When you get spiritual people, pseudo spiritual people, teaching other people, you can tell it's a sensitive subject for me, teaching other people how to be spiritual, but behind the scenes, they're totally upside down and inauthentic about it. It's a veritable shit show because you have people's lives in your hand, right? Right give people's lives in your hands. If you're a retreat host, if you're just a monk on a mountain somewhere in BC with long hair and an alpaca wardrobe, you know, it's like, yeah, have a good conversation with the guy. It's okay. But you know, if you're teaching 40 people how to like be spiritual, by the way, I'm only playing with you. I love your alpaca. It's not an alpaca. I know it's not an alpaca, but it's fun to think of it as an alpaca. Anyways, I think you get my point. And I think it is, we owe it to ourselves and to our own path. I owe it to my teachers of the last 20 years to speak truth when people are, when someone is being inauthentic and and going down a destructive path. I, I feel like we owe it to each other, you know, and it's not talked about a lot.
0: No, absolutely. And honestly, you bring up such a great point. I haven't really talked about before, but it's, it's, it's so going on right now because people are that it's going through that inauthentic side of themselves where they see, you know, there's a spirit, something called the spiritual ego. And that's something I yeah. had to learn, you know, because of what I just told you, what I, what I explained was, you know, my, my dark, my two dark nights of the soul that I went through. And so it's like, just because you've been enlightened for two, two weeks, doesn't mean s it doesn't mean anything right? So I had to really swallow my, my pride and be like, you know what, the more, the more I learn, the less I know. And then you can start to recognize the people that are out there that are, that are these charlatans because there are charlatans and we've seen them in the news. We see them sort of like elevated in, in, in documentaries. I saw a documentary the other day about this and it really just gives a bad name to to people that are, are doing the good work. And so it does take that like physical What's level. Was the
1: documentary of, on anybody in particular?
0: Well, it was actually on Netflix called Sins of Our Mother. And it was uh, really—I didn't usually. I just watch high vibrational stuff because I'm very like just, just like we we drink food and and you listen to music. What do we put into our eyes and ears is actually food too for our spirit, and it takes Mm -hmm. a a, a digestion. To it takes time for it to be digested, and for me, it took two days for me to digest that stuff because it was heavy. Holy, that's a great point
1: that it takes time to digest. Yeah, it really does, and that's why I can't really watch horror things. Or I started watching a dark. Um, movie. uh, It was called Catholic Church. It was an Italian movie. And I thought, oh, great. This is like a a foreign film. It'll be a good film on Netflix. But it started to go to really dark places. And I was like, got to turn this off. Cannot have this. But that's a great point. It's because of the digestion. I'm curious, and I know this is your show, not mine, but I am curious, the two weeks or so that you say you were walking around just in bliss, do you have memory of that? Like, do you have conscious memory
0: of that? Oh, such strong memory. And that's like, that's my anchor into like, I would like to be there again. But there's a but I didn't ha, I didn't I wasn't married I didn't have responsibilities like I had a little bit of money in the bank so I could walk around I was I was in the city of Vancouver. So I was just walking around in the moment, like talking to trees. Like I was so aware of each step I was taking. I was such in a state of bliss Mm. that I would even Mm. affect people around me. They would just like be looking. And it wasn't from the ego, just because the energy I was giving off of such love I had for Mm. the world. Mm. And so I still, I can feel that moment too. And that's actually Mm. what actually kind of really catapulted my, you know, I, I actually became a bit of a musician. I went to the desert and created music out there. And, um, you know, I've made like three or four albums and just, I was kind of like the the catapult to get me to where I am now. So definitely I I still feel that to this day. And, you know, I, I look to that as a, uh, sort of a guide point is that's where I'd like to be energetically, Hmm. but you gotta be realistic with yourself too. Right. You gotta be like, okay, how do I balance that life in this physical world? Right. And
1: by the way, I see people come back to Costa Rica three, four times a year because they want to experience that ayahuasca whatever happens i have not done ayahuasca but they keep coming back and it reminds me of the thing that you said where how do i get back there it's like the spiritual ego revs after we have this experience i remember the first time that i um did a deep delta meditation um when i was in my early 20s and i could like go in remote view and remote influence it's the shit that the cia uses and i did this in my early 20s Uh, i i had a crazy mentor in the countryside of the UK and whenever I would have a failure I would go out there and she has these like amazing libraries and I got a hold of these CDs and she says I don't think you're ready for these CDs and I meant to hide them before you came here I said I'm gonna take them and so I did these guided meditations and all of a sudden I started remote viewing people and things and remote influencing things and long story short and I started verifying that what I was seeing like I would get out of the meditation and then call or ask some or whatever and it was accurate like I was actually tapping in and almost immediately, it stopped working because I wanted more and more and more and more of it. And it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's why when I see people coming down here for multiple ayahuasca retreats, it's like, what is the intention? What are you really doing here? You know, is this a tool or is this a way of life or where where are you, you know, how are you integrating? All these questions, again, not to make anybody wrong or anybody right, but it's just, being willing and open to have the conversations and ask the questions so that we can, you know, as a, as a society, adjust ourselves as we're going down the road here, you
0: know. And that's how you truly heal, being honest with yourself. And, and, and yeah. I think that's why you have to like integrate that with some sort of daily practice in whatever form that yeah. looks like for you. Right, And I, yeah. I, you know, some people are kind of like resistant to like meditation. They're like, I don't want to meditate. Well, then go for a walk in the nature or or yeah. just do something that brings you to the moment. So we have to be honor ourselves by doing that and it's not necessarily easy especially with like this the world that we live in with that so um you know built on future and past right we are we have calendars to tell us where we need to be in, in an hour in a week and we're doing 18 things at a time you know in our jobs and really we're best like suited for doing one thing at a time being present so how do we balance that coming from a busy day at work where we're doing a million things, our boss is yelling at us and coming home and letting all that go. And it's not an easy thing, right? So yeah. I, we're not claiming it's an easy thing, but there are tools out there that can make it easier for you. And it's, it takes mm-hmm. like a, you know, it takes a recipe. It takes a recipe. It takes courage. It takes uh fortitude. It takes will. It takes faith. And I, I say to my listeners out there that, When you go through these experiences and you and you look at yourself as an experiment. And I always say, like, you know, try to journal if you can. And you can measure, you know, where you are. And then each day, each experience that you have, and then you can actually like say, you know what? This actually isn't really working. Like this actually, I I did this and this manifested. And so you become the experiment in your own life instead of reading someone else's book, your own book now. And now your own experience becomes your story. And nobody can take that from you. Yeah. I know it sounds really simple, but like you become a, a pillar of light by, by, yeah. you know, by manifesting that in your life. And it's not necessarily yeah. easy, but you start with one step at a time. Uh huh. Mm. So Beautiful. have you had like any like, you know, like you said, you did some, uh, you know, remote viewing. I love this kind of stuff. I've been on this path of like studying, you know, the weird things. I've been reading esoteric books since I was a child. I, I watch all the crazy stuff. So what was your like craziest mystical experience that was just like, wow, that was wild?
1: Uh, it was around that time in my early 20s. I was reading a book um, by someone that became a friend of mine. Actually, I reached out. I used to do this thing where I would read these people's books and then I would reach out to them. And then I would be friends with them. This is how I became friends with like Tim Ferriss and just all these people, Seth Godin, these people that I But this spiritual book that I was reading, um, you may or may not have heard of it. It's called Parallel Universes of the Infinite Self. And it's by an author called Fred Dodson. I'll repeat the title because people are always like,
0: wait, what? <laughs> Parallel... I have a like ten of his books.
1: Oh, you know Fred Dodson?
0: I know. I have like 10 of his audio
1: Hilarious. Yeah. I don't know oh, him personally, great. but
0: I just have a lot of his a lot of his work.
1: So I read this book, and I'll tell you the existential thing that happened. But I read this book, and I could only read two or three pages a day because it was such a level of like I was just so blown away. And so then I was like, I got to talk to this guy. Like, who is this character? So I emailed him, and this was before he was like. I think he's better known now. This was two thousand nine. So parallel universes without levels of energy was out but he's not quite now. He, I can barely get him on the phone. I don't know where the hell he is. Like, I have to hear about him from his ex-wife. Like, I'm like, where are you, dude? He's in another universe, literally parallel universe. Um, he actually was the first retreat that I ever had in my house in Maui. He brought 13 Germans to my house in Maui. It was really wild. Anyways. Um, what am I saying? So Fred, so I emailed Fred and so I get on the phone with him. I've never had this experience. It was on a Skype call one night, uh, I think 12 at night, Germany. He was living in Germany at the time. It was six o'clock where I was in New York. And I had questions for him, blah, blah, blah. So I had about a half hour of questions. And then I would just stop answering, stop asking questions. And he would just stare at me. And so I would ask more questions. He never said that he had to go. He never said he was tired. He never yawned. He never suggested that maybe he was late. We were on the phone for three hours, three o'clock in the morning, German time. I'm like, okay, I got to go. He's like, <laughs> okay. I mean, it was, I've never had someone give me time like that. Anyways, I ended up going to live with him in Germany for a while. Um, Cause I was like, who is this individual and parallel universes. So before any of that happened, I read this book, I could only read three pages at a time. And I read the chapter on time travel. And keep in mind, I'm a recovering Catholic. I'm in the TV business. I'm not particularly spiritual like you would consider woo-woo, doing sound bath, drinking cacao. Uh, I was like just kind of in the entertainment business. And so I was in the UK and I read this chapter on time travel. I'll never forget this, Greg. And I um, I went into a meditation after reading the three pages on time travel. It was four it was 4.45 p.m. I remember there was a clock on the bookcase. And dinner was at 6. So I thought, I have an hour 15 to integrate this because my friend who was my mentor would make dinner in the other house. And so I'd watch, she lived on like an estate. So i remember going down to meditate, sleep, whatever, with no intention of time traveling Zippo and I remember I had an hour 15 so 445 to six right I get up what I think is like an hour later because I'm in a guided meditation and it's 4 30 on the clock and I thought I slept 25 hours 24 hours but something I then gone to the house and I said did I just and she's like oh you're over early for dinner dinner is at six It was this wild experience where what I believe happened is I time traveled 15 minutes back. So nothing like cool or sexy, but it was just, I mean, well, I guess maybe some people are listening. for me, it was just like, I, I guess it is, but it wasn't like I time traveled to like back to the future. It's just, it was by 15 minutes. Cause I woke up at four thirty after being certain that I had an hour, 15 minutes before dinner at four forty-five, And this was after reading the three chapter, the three page, three or four pages on time travel in parallel universes. So I would say that was the thing that caught my attention the most in terms of the esoteric.
0: That's amazing. I, I just laugh. I mean, that's the funny thing is like, you know, it's it's moments like that. You realize, holy crap, there is so much going on. That so much. If, if your human mind tries to understand it, it, it literally will be blown wide open. So much.
1: I think that's what it was. It was like, okay, if that's possible, then what? Like, nobody would really believe me if I told them, unless I'm talking to the guy with the alpaca BC. But, you know, most people are not necessarily going to believe that I time traveled. You obviously do. You've read 10 of Fred's books. I mean, he's an amazing teacher and, and mm-hmm. theorist. Um, you know, and yet it doesn't really matter whether people believe me or not, because I know what happened. I'm very clear on what happened. Uh, and I'm also very clear that I don't spin those type of things. You know, I used to sell and go crazy a lot when I was in my early 20s with selling things and being Mr. Pitchman. But those things I really held very close to me because those were that felt the most real and authentic in a life that was filled with inauthenticity. And so knowing that that's true, it just it, you know how I said sometimes the question is more important than the answer. It just made me think, well, what else is possible? And that's led me on the journey that it's led me on.
0: I love that. And, you know, like, that's what I, was, what I was saying earlier. I was trying to allude to is, you know, it you have to experience it for yourself. And then that becomes this unshakable truth within you. Like nobody can say, Jake, what you said there, that's all BS. I don't believe it. That's not going to yeah. change the way you've experienced it. No. And so that's what it's really about is for us to get to these experiences to really, like, really open our hearts and our minds and be like, Okay, well, if that's possible, then what else is possible? If I've created this illness, then I can uncreate it. If I can create this poverty, then I can create abundance, yeah. right? And we just got to look and, and look at the map that life is, our bodies, our, our, the world around us, and these things that show us th- themselves to be like, okay, what's the pattern here? What's the source of the pattern? And totally. that's what I, I feel my mission on earth is to really just, just to share that magic is real. And, um, you know, that real magic is real and that we are a part of that magic. And that the sooner we can recognize it, the sooner that magic happens. Mm -hmm. So what's, what's next for, for, for Jake, you, you're working on this wonderful retreat. This is just a beautiful thing. What else do you have? Anything else going on?
1: Yeah. So this is a marathon of a podcast, by the way. Thank you. So you're really working me out today, (laughs) sir. That's good. I like to to be worked out.
0: (laughs) Well, because what's that? You're starting to sweat over there. I'm just joking. Well,
1: I'm <laughs> sweating because it's hot, not because it's you. <laughs> I, mean, I'm sorry, but it I is, have that impact uh, on people, though, so. It's a merit. <laughs> I know you do. I know you do. What I would say is uh, a next, I mean, who who the hell really knows? I'd say, you know, we're moving into the next chapter with Imaloa, which we're really exploring how we can impact more people. We have this 30-year vision of transforming a billion people by returning them to nature. Um, it's a big, hairy, audacious goal. And so it's like, how do we actually do that? Um, I'd like to build more MLOAs. Uh, maybe during COVID, I really didn't want to anymore. I was just like, it was, a, we were the only place to stay open and not fire a soul during COVID in the hospitality business in Costa Rica. Like it was one of one again, like Maloa just kind of is this one of one place where you it's just weird how things work out for it. Um, but now that we're out of COVID and now I see how many people have been blown open through the last few years and asking, like I've said, some of life's biggest questions, I think I think it's really incumbent upon us as a team to look at how we can contribute to people. We have this beautiful vehicle. Everyone's transformed that comes through there. Even if they don't particularly like the retreat host, the nature just has a thing about it where you know, you just can't be the same person that you were when you came in five days before. And you can see it in people's faces. It's the team's favorite part of doing the retreats is because you can actually see people's faces physically change in five days. Imagine. Um, So I think that, you know, I'm starting up the, or continuing the podcast, doing season four, starting that, uh, which is going to be great. I'm going to do four shows a week because I got a lot of people coming through in Maloa that I want to be talking to. Um, So I'm going to, kind of relaunch, not even relaunch, just continue the Jake Sassettl show. Uh, I just wrote a book called The Six Stages of Shattering Ego and Finding God, which talks a lot about what we've discussed here today. Um, okay. So I'd like to put some art to that, and I'd like to make it a bit more interactive. And so I'm playing with that. And I would say the foundation of all of that is that I just take care of myself better. Um You know, I have focused the last five years of my life on taking care of others, people who work with me, people who are clients of ours, people who are guests, investors, and I'm a little tired, if I'm totally honest with you. Mm -hmm. I am Mm -hmm. an internal optimist. I have a whole lot of energy, but I think what's next for me in some way, shape, or form is to listen to that internal whisper so that it doesn't become a thud, and then a roar, and then a catastrophe. It always starts as a whisper, I know, for me. Um, and the internal whisper is just like, it's not even saying slow down, because I'm not moving that fast. It's just like, take a little more time, you know, in between the gaps. Um, just to be, you know, in Maloa just wants to be. And so it is. And I kind of want to, too. So I think I'm just going to focus a little more on being rather than doing. So much of the last five years has been birthing this place. It's been my ministry. It's been my healing. In many ways, it's been the completion to what was a very dark part in my life. I always say our greatest pain, if we listen closely, can turn into our life's purpose. And in many ways, Imaloa is that. And I got to focus on me. So Um, I don't know what that looks like, but it's just, it's the whisper that I'm getting. And I'm being honest with you. I,
0: I love that. And, you know, there's always so much more to discover within ourselves, you know, just by listening and by going in and, you know, trying to like minimize what's happening out there and just go within the heart. And totally. there's so much more magic to discover. And it's, it's going to be amazing as, you know, if we talk in a year to see where you're at and see what you discovered about yourself, because we're all so infinite really. And there's well, also, I, I,
1: I love that. I'm going to be a repeat guest on the, uh, on the podcast. <laughs>
0: absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds wonderful. So as we finish up here, Jake, um, yeah. is there anything that you'd like to say to the audience before we say goodbye?
1: I mean, if people want to come on Retreated in Maloa, if they use um, promo code word Jake, J-A-K-E, they get $350 off their signature retreat, um, which is always nice if people are like, huh, I'd like to see that jungle experience. Um, and if they use, yeah, promo code Jake, that would be the only other thing. I think everything else, what I like about shows like yours, Greg, is that you just, you, you encourage people just to leave it all in the field, leave it all in the court. And I feel like I've done that here.
0: Yeah, but, and honestly, it's been such a wonderful heartwarming joyful conversation I'm just I've been wiping tears out of my eyes a couple times here just such a splendid time um, talking to Jake and learning about Jake and and all the wonder wonderful things that he's doing over there in in Costa Rica so I want to thank Jake for being with with me here today like I said it's been amazing and I'll be sure to leave the links in the podcast notes below so thank you so much Jake and namaste
1: thank you Greg namaste